I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and go to the book of Joshua. Um, in the book of Joshua, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today. And uh, last week we talked about going backwards so that you can go forward. So I'll give you a quick recap, okay? As we've talked about being below the surface or going below the surface, what we have is the image of an iceberg, and we say really what we offer to people is the 10% of who we are on the outside. This is who I am. I'm funny, I'm energetic, I'm this, I'm that, whatever, fill in the blank. That's what people get from you. But underneath the surface, there's 90 more percent or nine-tenths of everything else that's going on that makes you who you are, your background, your experience, uh, your hurt, any trauma that you've gone through. All of those things, uh, they are below the surface. And so last week we talked about going back in our past and thinking through with the Holy Spirit's help, is there maybe something in, in my past that helps me understand more about where I am today and with God's grace helps me move forward out of that thing? Today, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about tearing down walls, taking down walls. And in the book of Joshua, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I'll give you a little insight. If you've ever attended a Sunday school class, or you might have just heard this because we're in the South where it seems like everybody knows a few Bible stories, it's the story in Joshua chapter 6 that talks about the walls of Jericho. Does anybody remember the story that we used to sing? <laughs> about Joshua. Brother Herbert raised his hand. Anybody else? You remember the story? It's a, it, or the song, I'm sorry. Yeah. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? It's a lie. <laughs> he didn't fight the battle of Jericho. Uh, I asked my kids the other day, I said, hey, do you know that song? And Madeline said, Joshua fought the battle of, and I thought to myself, man, we are teaching bad theology to our kids, okay? It's not true. Joshua didn't fight the battle. Who fought the battle? God did. God fought the battle. So it's important for us to understand when we talk about going below the surface that there are things, there are walls that we come up against. There are Jerichos that we come up against. And we need, God, we need God's help and his grace to get through those things and to see those things crumble so that we can go into our promised land. Jericho is the first stop. This is after the Israelite people have crossed over the Jordan River. The first stop is the city of Jericho. What you need to know about Jericho is that their people were barbaric. They were crazy. They did evil things. There was a lot of stuff going on. It was a godless people. The other thing you need to know about the city of Jericho is that those walls were 40 feet high and they were very thick. They formed two concentric circles around the city of Jericho. They were by all accounts, impenetrable, unscalable, not a ladder that could climb that high. I mean, every battle that they had fought or tried to defend their fortress city, they were the successors. There was nothing that could stop them. And that might be how we feel about the Jerichos in our own life, that there's a big unsurmountable or insurmountable wall that we can't seem to climb over. Maybe we feel like we're up against a wall. Maybe you feel pinned in a corner, in some area of your heart, in some area of your life, and you say, God, I need hope. I need your help. I feel like I, I'm facing this thing, and I'm not seeing any victory over it. Today, I want us to look at the, the story of Joshua and Jericho, and I want us to see if we can apply the same strategy that he applied to the walls of Jericho to our own lives as well. So the people were barbaric people, 
Um, the walls were thick. They were 40 feet high. But here's what you need to know about Joshua. He did not use a sword. He did not wield a weapon. He didn't have something in his hand. He didn't have a hammer, to, a sledgehammer to break down a brick. He did not have a weapon that would have been needed for war. And he didn't bring down the walls of Jericho. God did. And God wants to do that for you as well. I think sometimes we have wrong theology and we say Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So I've just got to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And God wants to give us victory and help us to walk in victory in those areas of our life where we're experiencing that fight. But we've got to accept that he has already become the victor. And we need to walk in that. So the Jericho that you face could be something like anxiety. It could be something like fear. It could be insecurity of some sort. It could be a sin. It could be pride. It could be envy. It could be lust. It could be any of those things that we could be facing. But what it really comes down to is that a Jericho in your own life is a mindset. It's, it's a mentality that keeps you from moving into your promised land. It's something that's there that is not allowing you to go forward. And truly, in order for the... the people of Israel to go forward into the promised land. As soon as they crossed the river of Jordan, they had this giant fortress city in their way. And what could they have thought after traveling 40 years around in the desert and God giving them manna and quail, supplying all of their needs, and now it's time for them to go to battle. So Joshua's got all these, all these warriors. They've got all these weapons. They've got all these things. And he says, listen, you're not going to need that. <laughs> what are you talking about? These are the people that when we sent spies in to spy out the land, they said they were giants. They said that they're, they're unconquerable. We cannot go forward. And yet Joshua had the faith to believe that what God said was absolutely true. And in order to move forward into the promised land, they had to conquer Jericho or they had to walk into Jericho. And the same thing is true for us. Did you know that the people of Israel had to conquer 31 other tribes and or nations of people that were inhabiting the land that was called the promised land? 31 kings were deposed, dethroned. 31 groups of people and nations had to be eliminated so that God's people could take that land. And this is the first stop, the impenetrable city. In order for us to move forward in our faith, our Jericho walls must come down too. It was true of Joshua and the children of Israel, and it's true for you and I. In many ways, the story of Jericho is a trademark story. It's something that you might have heard before. It's a theme that it goes throughout the book of Joshua. But there's a theme that's in the book of Joshua that if we're paying attention, we can pay attention this morning and hear it, let it sink into our hearts. The theme is this inheritance. That word inheritance appears 60 times, more than 60 times, in the book of Joshua alone. It's not that he fought the battle, it's that God was giving the people of, of Israel an inheritance. 
that word and our understanding of that word inheritance is super important. It's really important if we're thinking about going below the surface. If you're a believer in this room today, you have got to understand what this word inheritance means. Now, if I asked you for a layman's term, we, we all kind of get it. Something that's passed down, someone died, I received something, that kind of thing. Now think about that in the spiritual way. Think about that in this way, that it's not just the acquisition of a of a possession of some sort. Um, it's something that's from past generations. Someone did die and you have received an inheritance. Are you with me this morning? Are you thinking this morning? Put your thinking cap on. Jesus Christ came to the earth to die. And when he died, he has provided to us, God himself has provided to us an inheritance. Do you know what that is? Do you know what it means that you're, that you're able to access? Do you live with the idea and the understanding that God has given you an inheritance? Let's look at Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 in verse 1. We're going to look there, and if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Otherwise, the, the screen will have it uh, here in just a second. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. So here's what God is saying. God is saying, I've given it to you. Go take it. Go receive it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to earn it. I've done it for you already. And the Lord said to him, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men. So this is really important as we talk about going below the surface and understanding what our inheritance is as a believer. And if you're not a believer in this room today, I want to encourage you. God wants to give you the gift of an inheritance. We just have to understand and we have to reach out in faith to know him in a deeper sense. So Joshua was not fighting for a victory. He was fighting if you could even say that, he was fighting from a place of victory in his mind, already having understood and known that God had done it and he had to just receive it. Now, I'm tempted, and I, I don't want to muddy the waters, but I'm tempted to make a disclaimer. I am not a name it, claim it sort of preacher. Okay, there was something in the 80s that said, you know, God gives everybody a Cadillac. You just claim it and walk into that dealership and he's going to give it to you. There's some really weird stuff that Christians have lied about. Okay, that's what, what I'm going to say. And that is not what I'm talking about today. What I am talking about today is a spiritual heritage, a spiritual legacy and inheritance. Not about a possession necessarily, but God wants to give you possession of your entire iceberg. He wants you to own it. He wants you to know all those places in your heart and in your life. And he wants to be present in each and every one of them. For most of us in this room, we would understand that issue of inheritance that we talked about. And there are two inheritances that we have as believers. We have the things that have been passed down to us from our fathers and our mothers, even if they're still alive. You say, 
My parents aren't leaving me anything, okay, when they die. But they did give me some things, which are inheritance, a great sense of humor. Go ahead, laugh, it's fine. Uh, so good looks, things like that, that they gave to me. And they might have given you the same thing too, okay? Your parents have given you some things that even while you live, you're living in the inheritance of them. But on the other respect, or in another way, that spiritual inheritance that's from God himself comes to those who are called sons and daughters. So, 1 John chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'll have it here on the screen. It says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed or given to us that we should be called the children of God, beloved. Now we are children of God. Brother Don, I'm telling you that worship set this morning with the different songs he's in so well that we are his beloved he has called us his sons and daughters that's why we can receive this inheritance that comes from god himself but paul goes a step further he goes a step further in another place and he says that we're not just children or distant relatives but we are heirs and not just heirs but co-heirs with christ listen to what he says in romans chapter 8 in these few verses The Spirit himself, in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Christ, that we may also be glorified together. Very interesting. Brother Don and I did not talk, but he shared those verses at the beginning of the service about, well, I want to be part of the victory of Christ. I want to be part of all this good stuff, but uh, sharing his suffering? <laughs> Can we just wipe that out? Just take that one out. It does, there's a couple things I'd like to take out. Let's just take that one out. No. This is what it's saying there in this verse, in verse 18. It's saying that God's glory comes to those who suffer. So you've been suffering, you've had something not go your way, you feel like you've hit a roadblock or a brick wall, you're suffering in some area of your life, and don't tell me it's a small thing, okay? Let's talk about the big areas of suffering. Let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about relationship issues. Let's talk about those things. Not you got stuck in traffic. That's not suffering, right? That's what? That's inconvenience, but that is not suffering. So glory comes from suffering, but it's important that we know that it says there that we're heirs of God and not just heirs in the distant relative sort of I'm going to get a dime from the estate sort of heirs. I am in the name of Christ standing at the front of the line with Jesus Christ, the first and only begotten of God who is in line first. I'm an heir standing with him. This is important for us to understand. So because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance. First born at the front of the line is Jesus Christ, and we get to stand with him. So we have what he has. You say, well, I struggle to give grace to someone who's getting on my nerves. Can Jesus help you with that? Yeah. He has the answer for everything that we need. Does he have wisdom 
about the business decision or about the relationship stress or about the whatever you're going through. Yes, he has the answer to everything that you need. So Joshua lived from a place, and this is important, he lived from a place of inheritance, not circumstance. So things hadn't gone his way. They might not have looked like they were going to go his way. There weren't enough swords. There wasn't enough wood to lash some ladders together. There wasn't in any human scope of the imagination the ability for Joshua and the soldiers of Israel to go in and take the city of Jericho. So he was not fighting for victory. He's fighting from victory. And he wasn't fighting from a place of circumstance. He was fighting from a place of inheritance. We as believers in this room ought to be doing the exact same thing when we're, when we're looking, when we're faced with the walls of Jericho in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own homes. When we tap into the inheritance of Christ, our natural inheritance can be redeemed. That stuff that isn't so good that's been passed down from generation and generation can be redeemed because of the inheritance that we have in Christ. He wants to redeem. He wants to purge those things from us and make us clean in all 100% of us. So Joshua is not conquering the land, the promised land. God had given him the land. There's a big difference between the two things. See, Joshua was a promised land person. And promised land people are the kind of people that understand their inheritance. And that's my challenge to you today, is to understand the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. That the battle that you are fighting, the thing that you're facing, may not, it may seem really monumental and large to you. But in the eyes of Christ, he can conquer it all. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. He's conquered the enemy. That means it's not just, we've talked about this before, God's enemy is not just God's enemy, it's the enemy of God's people as well. So he has conquered the devil. He's conquered him in the area of temptation that you and I face. He has succeeded. He hasn't walked away with his tail tucked between his legs. He is the victor standing high with his foot on the throat of the one who's been defeated. Amen? Come on, I'm preaching today. You ought to be shouting. Shout inside yourself if you have to. So Joshua says, Okay, God, you've given me the city. I assume the walls are coming down. And he pressed forward in faith. He also did something else. He pressed forward in obedience. He did what God told him to do. And this is really, really important. You and I need to be doing the same thing. If we're to take the strategy of Joshua when we're facing our own Jericho, we need to not just hear what God says about that situation, but we need to obey his word about that situation. There are so many things, so many things in the word of God that his people do not live according to, do not even understand or access. And I feel like we're really missing out. We're really missing out when we skip over, when we breeze over, when we don't spend time in the Word, when we're not in fellowship with Him. We're really missing out because He's trying to wave something at us. He's trying to let us know, I've already done this. I can help you here. I can do this for you. He stands there waiting for us to accept His help. 
So promised land people don't look at today's problems and say, yep, it's always going to be this problem. Jericho's always going to be there. It's, uh, maybe we'll just have to go around it somehow. Maybe God will give it. No, promised land people like Joshua understand that God wants to take you through some things in your life in order for you to experience victory that he has to give to you. Boy, wouldn't you love to just be able to escape every trouble and trauma and disease and relationship issue and physical, all of these different things? Wouldn't you just love to have a peaceable life where there's no pain, no hurt, no trouble? We will someday. But right now, while we're in human form here on the earth, we're experiencing something else. We're living in a fallen place. We're dealing with fallen people. We ourselves are fallen people who hopefully the people in this room have been redeemed. We're living according to what God's plan and his purpose is. But this is important. Faith and obedience. Have you obeyed what God has spoken? And you say, well, God's never spoken to me in an audible way. Yes, he has. It's in the word of God. It's, it's black ink on a page. It's red ink on a page inside of the Bible. God has the answer. If you look, you will find the answer in his word. I think sometimes we treat our faith like it's some mysterious thing. God, write on the wall and tell me exactly what to do. God, give me six different reasons why I shouldn't do this or should do that. You know what? Just dig into the word of God or rather let it dig into you about that thing. You say, well, I'm facing a Jericho of anger. Well, what does the Bible say about anger? Well, I I have these issues with anxiety. I I have panic attacks. I get easily flustered and I I just, I'm indecisive and I can't make the decision God wants me to. God talks about anxiety too. And he wants to help you with that as well. The next verse in Joshua chapter six that we'll look at is verse six. Let's look at the strategy that God gave Joshua. Some of you or many of you would be familiar with the story, but let's recount it today. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, he was the son of nobody, <laughs> called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Now, I just wonder, I have to wonder, if there was maybe someone who was a military commander, somebody who was like, you know, a big brawny guy who said, Joshua, you sure this is what we need to do? You said, take the little box that has handles on it and put some priests around it with some musical instruments, right? Okay, when do the swords come out? This is what I want to know, right? Can you just imagine that undertone of someone saying, what are we doing here? He had a strategy, though. You see, the Ark of the Covenant is so important. I hope this isn't distracting because I'm managing the slides with this and reading my notes with this. So try not to be too distracted. Um, But he had a strategy that God had given him. The Ark of the Covenant was not just a box with some handles on it. The Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says and declares to us, was the very presence of God. It's where the presence of God resided. Do you understand? God's presence was living on the earth and it was living above that box. So God has spoken to Joshua and said, you carry my presence into the middle of this battle. So when you're facing your Jericho in your own heart, in your own life, something that seems insurmountable, even if you're to blame, even if it's a mistake, 
that you've caused all the headache and heartache. Carry the presence of God into the very center of that thing. Carry the Ark of the Covenant with you. It's incredible what his strategy was. Going deeper here, it says in verse 10. um, Well, let me read to you verse 10. I don't know where it is. Hold on, let me go back. Verse 10, now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Okay, there are some estimates that give us the children of Israel would have been 2 million people at this time, the time of the Exodus, when they've come out of Egypt, they've traveled in the desert. Some people have died. A lot of people have been born. There's not a whole lot to do in the desert. So I'm assuming there's a lot of newborns, okay? You with me? So there are a lot of babies. There are a lot of people. And Joshua says, hey guys, for the next couple days, I need you to use sign language, okay? I need you to not talk don't utter a word, don't make a sound. Why was he doing this? He was doing this and it was really important because the only sound that should be heard is the sound of the blowing of the ram's horn. Not the chitter chatter of people, not the voices trying to give you wisdom, but God himself is trying to give victory. He wants to give victory in every area of your life. And when we focus in on him, not only with the Ark of the Covenant, with his presence, but that ram's horn being blown as well, I want to tell you what that ram's horn can signify. There are two different horns that were used in the Old Testament, in the ancient Israel. There was a silver horn, and there was a ram's horn. Does anybody know the starting of the ram's horn, why the ram's horn came to be? Just nod if you do. Anybody? Okay, well, I'll tell you really quick. Do you remember the story about Abraham and Isaac? Do you remember him taking Isaac up onto the mountain and Isaac going, hey, pop, where's the sacrifice? And he says, you're it, buddy. Lay down on this altar. God saves him from being killed. And I hope you're not getting too cold. If you are, Brother John, get get those ACs if you would. Um, I feel like I'm getting cold. (laughs) Um, So he says, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? Then he says, okay, well, I'm going to kill you. You're the sacrifice. Well, then what happens after that? He doesn't kill him, and he says these words to his son going up the mountain, and then when he actually does a sacrifice, God himself will provide the sacrifice. He looks over in the bush, and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. From that moment on, the people of Israel had the imagery and understanding that that horn was to signify because it could only be blown if it's off of a dead animal. Are you understanding that? Okay, can't blow a ram's horn while it's attached. So when it's not attached, they were using it to declare, God will provide, God will win. He's always done it. He's never failed. Some of us need to shout that in the face of our Jericho. God will provide. He has figured it out. He will not fail us now. He has not failed you yet. He will not ever fail you. So the silver trumpet was used to call the gathering of the assembly. They do it when the temple is built, when all these other things, the guy standing on the mountain blowing this really loud uh, sound from a silver horn, bringing everybody together. But the ram's horn was a worship instrument that declared God will provide. God will win. Let me get back to my notes. 
every one of the battles that we face in our lives, at the root, there's a spiritual context to it. Everything that we face, I want you to hear that. Everything, every battle that we face, every Jericho, there is a spiritual conflict. And here's what we have to understand, that Jericho did not come down as a result of natural warfare. It came down as a result of spiritual warfare. This was unlike any other battle they'd ever or would ever again mimic. They wouldn't ever do the same thing again. But God would literally shake the walls of Jericho with the shout of his people, with the presence of God in the middle. He would literally cause those walls to come down. And the walls, the bricks that were in their way became the rubble that they stepped over to get into the promised land. We can do that same thing in our own lives, but we've got to understand there's the aspect of spiritual warfare. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Let me just say this about spiritual warfare. Uh, this is not a weird thing to talk about in church, okay? And I don't know what your experience is when we say the word spiritual warfare. You might see somebody in like, I don't know, a prayer meeting, shouting at the devil or doing something weird or whatever. That's not what this is about. It's not something weird or off the wall. Spiritual warfare is every day in our lives and we have the ability to engage the enemy and how do we do that? We can see in the strategy of Joshua already that we engage him by having the presence of God with us, by declaring God's truth. Did you know that the enemy will not stay where truth is announced? He can't. He's the father of lies. He's got to go. He will not stick around where God is being praised. So you, you feel like you have some pressure in your life, some oppression, something that maybe the enemy has stirred up, someone who's against you. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. They're not natural. They're spiritual. And the Jerichos that we face, Paul calls them something else. He calls them strongholds. It was a fortress city. So he doesn't use the word Jericho, but he says we can see strongholds come down when we engage in spiritual warfare. And this is really important as we're talking about being below the surface. I, I do battle. You and I do battle and should be doing battle. I've given the experience or the um, the. Ex the story recently that I had something happen where I had a thought come into my head and I had to audibly say, and you know, regardless of where the thought came from, here's where I can tell you it came from, a dark place below my surface. And I had this thought and I thought, well, mm, uh-huh, what about them? Or what about this? Or they shouldn't have done this or they, or whatever it might've been. And I found myself talking out loud to myself, but what I was doing was declaring God's truth. I was saying, I'm not going to think that way. I literally found myself walking around the building saying, no, God, with your grace, I'm going to think the best and I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to walk in grace and forgiveness. I'm not going to worry about that thing. That's what we have to do. So here's, here's something really important. Just because you have a thought, this has been said, doesn't mean that you have to think it. You don't have to carry that thought with you. You don't have to pick it up. In fact, you have a lot of thoughts you probably should throw out. 
Have you been practicing that lately or do you feel like you're just kind of, I don't know, I was going to say like the, the sink disposal. Do you feel like there's a lot of stuff that's just stuck in there, some grime? <laughs> do we need to have the Holy Spirit in His grace help us to clean that out? All the time. And, and maybe there's something that's been piling up for a while. Maybe there's a thought of fear or anxiety or it could be anything else. There are just some examples, but it could be guilt. It could be anything that we consistently deal with. That thing is a stronghold and that thing is a Jericho that God wants to see crumble. So 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children. And listen to what it says. It says, you have overcome them. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we have this overcoming faith and ability already. And we will continue to overcome because Christ has overcome on our behalf. The truth is, is you cannot win the battle. When you have those thoughts, you can't do it yourself You've got to declare God's word, his truth. You've got to accept his presence into your situation and into your life. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So when the tempest blows, when things are going wrong, when the waves are mounting, when all of this stuff is happening around us, we have this hope that Christ has already overcome. So there's a real enemy and he is the enemy of God and God's people. He's always attempting to undermine God's plan and God's purpose. That's what his game is. He's been doing it from the beginning of time, and he won't stop until God himself stops him and throws him into a deep, dark dungeon forever. So when we have something that we've been confronted with in our life, maybe it's a lie that we've understood to be true or thought that it was true, but it's not. When we look at the word of God and we have that illumination of the word of God, we ought to live in the light of the truth of God's word. Are you with me this morning? So if we're like Joshua, we will have confidence that we stand with the victor of all victors. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three through six says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. <laughs> you know anybody you want to cast down an argument with? <clears throat> and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This word captivity is not to be chained up. Did you know that? When it says there, taking it into the captivity of the obedience of Christ, it literally uses the imagery in Greek, the original language, of spearing it through and pinning it to the wall. That sounds pretty violent. You know, just for the thought life that we have, I don't know that I do that enough, but there are things that I need to spear to the wall and I don't need to pick them up again. There are things that we need to maybe take them out and say, God, I'm putting that in the trash and I'm not going to think on that. I'm not going to dwell on that. So our strongholds are not made out of bricks. Their thoughts, their philosophies, their opinions. My question is today, does a stronghold have a stronghold on you? 
Is there something that you've been battling? That maybe you've been taking the, the human side of things? Maybe you've been fighting with that coworker. Maybe you've been going tit for tat on things with someone. Maybe you've been engaging in those arguments. Maybe, maybe you've distanced yourself and you said, you know what, there's no hope that I'm just done with this. Maybe that's for you today that you need to put down those natural weapons, the weapons of our carnality, the things of my good argument can't win. But God can touch the heart of people in a way that you would never expect if we would allow him to do that, if we would give them to God. So the question is, does a stronghold have a stronghold on you? Here are some examples we talked about earlier, but here's something that could be a stronghold. God could never forgive me. That's a stronghold of guilt. Another one could be, I could never forgive that person for what they did for, to me or against me or my family. That's a, a stronghold of resentment or bitterness. There's a stronghold of, of a lie that, you know, bad things always happen to me. I never get anything good. It's just always going to fail. It's always going to work out this way. No, it's not, because if you're paired up with Christ, you're in air with Him. You've joined Him, and He's already won. So while it may seem like your circumstance has been that some bad things have happened to you, maybe you need to look a little deeper and see that God's been working all those things out together for your good. We just talked about Joseph last week and how he forgave and how he said to his brothers who threw him in, into slavery, then he went into prison. He had all of this horrendous things happen to him and he stood there with the confidence and said, you meant it for evil, but God did something amazing. He saved lives because you screwed it up. You messed me up, but God didn't want to let that be the final say. He doesn't want it to be the final say. So don't listen to that lie that bad things always happen to you. How about something else? I must be good or God will reject me. That's a stronghold of performance. That's something that we need to for, forsake and get rid of. My value equals my possession. It's materialism. Or a, a common thread through all of this is that the strongholds in our lives are usually, if not always, built on lies. And they need to be confronted with the truth of God's word. So I said before, I'll say it again. God's word holds the answer. It holds the key. The first step in seeing the Jerichos in our lives crumble is by asking the Holy Spirit this question. What strongholds are there? Pastor, you talked about anger, fear, resentment. I feel like I'm pretty good in those areas. Holy Spirit, is there a stronghold in my life? I trust the Holy Spirit to be able to speak, even to those, and you think of it right away, that's the Holy Spirit helping you to understand that's what the stronghold is. So listen when he speaks. But I believe that God has shown us through the story of Joshua how those strongholds come down. Not only did he put God in the center and we should do the same, but there's something else about this that we shouldn't compartmentalize God. We shouldn't say, well, this is my Christianity over here and this is my secular job over here. This is my world with my kids and their soccer team and whatever and this is what I do on Sunday because that's not who God is. God wants to be involved in everything. He wants to be at the center. He's, he's selfish like that, if we could say that about God. He really does. He wants his hand in every pie you've got. 
Joshua also blasted the ram's horns. So what is our ram's horn? Our ram's horn today in the declaration of truth would be the ram's horn of the word of God. It would be going to the word of God to see what God's word says about our situation. So Satan will not stay where truth is spoken and he will not stick around where God is being praised. So are you fighting a battle? Do you see a Jericho? Do you have a family issue or an issue on your job or an issue with your kid or an issue with a coworker? Do you have that issue? Then praise God in the midst of that issue. Well, it's really tough to do that. Yeah, it is. But he deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. What do you mean? Everything is going south. It's going horrible in my life. Everything is just horrible. No, it's not. Not if we praise God. Not if we say, God, would you help me see the good in this? Satan is allergic to the truth. So if we're facing a stronghold in our heart or in our life, use the word of God and blast that ram's horn. This is how our victory happens. Seven days around the city. This shows us that victory is a process. So here, the, here go the people of Israel. Not all two million of them. A lot of them are up on a hillside. There's a big congregation with the priests. There are some soldiers there who are before, who are kind of flanking in the front and the back before the priests who are you know, sounding the ram's horn. And the ark of God, the covenant of him who is the one who is giving victory is circling that city. Do you think God could have brought it down just like this? Yes, but are you mad at God because he didn't fix it in your life right away? Maybe. Maybe we don't see it like we ought to see it with the eyes of faith and obedience. Maybe we need to understand about the, about the, the heritage that we have, but not only that, about the character of who God is, that life is a process. This whole thing about being below the surface is a process. Someone asked me the other day, hey, tell me about this healthy church thing. You say, you know, the church went through it and, you know, how things going, you know, what's your take on this? Uh, when, you know, when does it end? How does this whole thing, you know, go? And I said, well, I guess I don't know how to really say that because we're in the healthy church process now and we've said that we're going to do this for the rest of our lives. We're determined to be a healthy church. We're determined to have you be healthy people emotionally and spiritually. We're determined that those who serve with us are going to be growing together. We're determined to be a healthy church. That process doesn't stop. We just got it started. We've got 50, 80, 100 years more left of the life that God wants to give to our church individually in bringing us to better and better health. You think he wants to do that same thing with you and I? So we've got to see that the process is something that we've got to understand. And God is in the process. God could have brought the walls down immediately, but it was the faith of the people to continue to walk around. It doesn't come immediately. Every victory in our lives like we wish it would. The stronghold that has a stronghold on you or I needs to be circled in prayer. It needs to be circled in worship. It needs to be circled in the truth of God's word. And I am telling you, based on the strategy of Joshua, the walls will come down. God can improve the situation. That seems hopeless. Hello? Have you ever witnessed that in your own life or even in somebody else's? God can improve the situation. God does win out every time we let him. You, ca you caught that. Every time we let him. Yeah, of course he always wins. But are you letting him win in your life? 
when we talk about those walls of Jericho? Let's look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. But it came to pass on the seventh day, they rose early about the dawning of the day. Um, Victory comes in the morning for all of you who are not morning people. (laughs) And marched around the city seven times on that day in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. So verse 20 says this, The people shouted, the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down. And it was still 20 foot high, and they had to climb over top of it still to get into the city. Uh Uh-uh. It says it fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So does does a stronghold have a hold of you? Is there a thought that you've been processing and it could be a long time maybe i just i want you to understand this with the help of the holy spirit today you might have a stronghold of a jericho that you've been living with since a child it's not something that just started today it can be something that the enemy wants to get into our life but it could be something that you've been dealing with forever and god says i want to bring that jericho down Maybe it's you and you feel like you're living out of your circumstance rather than your inheritance. Gee, it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard to walk and to see with the eyes of faith rather than our eyes. (laughs) But you don't understand. I'm having marital issues. I'm having job issues. I can see it. Yes, but God is already victorious and he wants to help you in this process. Maybe that's you today. I want you to stand with me. I can tell you this with all certainty based on, the, based on the story that we see in Scripture that if Joshua had enabled the army to go in and he had not obeyed what God had told him, but he went in there with their swords and their shields, they would have been defeated. I believe with all certainty they would have been attacked. There would have been something, it would have been a massacre of monumental proportions because they hadn't obeyed and they hadn't let God in to take care of it for them. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I want you to consider the words of this message today about Jericho. Maybe there's a Jericho in your life that you've been facing. In the presence of Christ today, would you let him have it? Would you just give it to him and say, God, I'm, just, I'm tired of striving. I've been trying to fight this thing on my own and it's not worked out well. But I'm confident that the Holy Spirit gave me this message in this direction today because someone here, including me, needs to hear that the walls of Jericho will come down with God's help if we just put him at the center.